Welcome back to YALife.Vegas podcast. This is a podcast for the young adult community here at Life Baptist Church, where the goal is to help young adults effectively communicate the faith by rightly examining the word of God. I'm your host, Chuck Williams, and I just want to let you know, this is probably one of my favorite times of the week. Just re iterating what we covered on a Thursday night via this podcast as we continue to walk through the book of Romans as you guys continue to send these challenge questions so this is a joy for me I, I appreciate just the opportunity that you guys are listening sharing and and interacting with this podcast so continue to do so so as we do every week we get into our challenge question here we go are you challenging me <laughs> Here's this week's challenge question. Is chapter one of Genesis a chiasm? If so, does it give credence to the argument that it is meant to be poetic and not literal? This is a great question. So the first thing I think that we need to do is define terms. Once again, this is something that we always need to do. We need to make sure that the questions and challenges being posed, we are all on the same page when it comes to the terms and definitions that we are using. So here is the term and definition of chiasm that we are all going to be on the same page about. It is a literary structure where parallel elements correspond in an inverted order. An example of this would be ABCBA or ABBA, ABCBA. These are all examples of a structure of how a chiasm is formed. Knowing that, this already defeats the argument that every single chiasm has to be just poetic and not literal. There are some chiasms that can be poetic in their nature, but it does not say that they're only poetic and we are not to take them literal. For example, before we jump into Genesis um, chapter one, let's look at Matthew 23, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Did you catch the chiasm there? It's an A-B-B-A structure. Whoever exalts himself, that exalting is the A, will be humbled, which is B, and then whoever humbles himself, which is B, shall be exalted, which is A. Once again, chiasm, and we definitely take this literal. Give you another example. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you see the structure there? A, B, B, A. A is the Sabbath. B is man. B is man. A is again the Sabbath. Once again, we will also take these literal. A another good example that I personally love is found in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It says this, There are six things which Yahweh hates, even seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked thoughts, feet that hasten to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, I love this because it's in a chiastic structure. So the first line sets it up for us. There are six things which Yahweh hates, even seven which are an abomination to him. And then it goes into this chiasm of A, B, C, D, C, B, A. Haughty eyes, which would be A. A lion tongue, which would be B. Hands that shed innocent blood, which would be C. And then you have D, which is the center of this entire chiasm. 
a heart that devises wicked thoughts. And then going down there, you have C, which is feet that hasten to run to evil. B, a false witness who breathes out lies. And then ending again in A, and one who spreads strife among brothers. So when we're looking at chiasms, when they're in this type of structure, which is probably one of my favorites because it's pointing at the center of all of these, it does not mean that A, B, and C are not important, but D is the main point because out of a heart that devises wicked thoughts, you have haughty eyes, lying tongues, hands that shed innocent blood, and that parallels with feet that hasten to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. So when we're looking at chiasms, they, they, they allow us to get so much more out of this. This is another reason why when you're looking at the Psalms, they are often written in chiastic form. Uh, when you see a Psalm like, man, that ended really depressing. Well, when you look at it, it's probably a Psalm to where the chiasm is pointing to the center of the passage. And that's where the victory is coming and everything else is paralleling out of it. So when we're looking at Genesis chapter one, and a lot of scholars assume that Genesis chapter one through two, four is in chiasm, is in a chiastic structure. And I would agree because at the center of that, what do you get? You get God talking about rest and how important that is. So, so when we're looking at the creation of the world, this is something that we do take literal. This is in some type of poetic form that we can see in some aspects. But just because it is a chiasm does not necessarily mean that it's in a poetic form, but we do take them literally. All of God's word, we take literally. We want to see how God has revealed himself and take him at his word. So answering this question, I do not think that there is, I, I, I would say that this question starts off in a fallacy. It is an either or fallacy saying that I either have to pick that a chiasm is poetic or that a chiasm is literal. But once again, it can be both and it does not necessarily mean that we need to throw it all away because of that. So um, I, I thought this was a great question. Continue to bring in your questions. Continue to study the word of God. This is so good for you guys. And I'm grateful that you dive into it. So now let's jump into our main study. We are in the book of Romans. We're in chapter 15. Today we will be addressing verses 14 through 21. And let me read it. But I myself and also convinced about you, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, having been filled with all knowledge and being able to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some points as so to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me by God for to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not be bold to speak of anything except what Christ has brought about through me, leading to the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around as far as Lycaonium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And in this way, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel, 
not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no declaration of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Amen. Okay, so the first question that we have comes from verses 14 through 16. It says, how can Paul say this about people he has never personally met? And this is a good question because once again, the apostle Paul did not start the church in Rome. He heard about the church in Rome and he has once again been encouraging the church in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles. So we, we need to understand that because when we look back at Romans chapter one, verse eight, the apostle Paul says that, you know, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the entire world, throughout the whole world. So Paul is only hearing about them. The proclamation of what these people are doing in Rome has has gone throughout the whole world to where it reached Paul. The goodness, the knowledge, the admonishing one another was being made known by and through them. And Paul heard of it. So that was the first reason why Paul could say that. He can he can say all of these admonishments. He can encourage them. He can write this letter, not only reminding them, but also encouraging them because what he has heard from others. And then a second reason is because Paul knows that it was the sanctification done by the Holy Spirit that is producing all of this. Paul is not guessing that these people are are doing what they're supposed to be doing because they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. No, he knows because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them, they are doing all these things that the Holy Spirit produces. They, they, they are having this goodness. They are having this knowledge. They are admonishing one another because that is what the Holy Spirit does inside of the believer. That is what the Holy Spirit's job is. So the Holy Spirit that Paul says that he is offering um, or the, the Gentiles that he is offering up to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, he knows that is the same Holy Spirit that is roaming around in Rome, converting and saving these people. So he knows that this is no different. Paul has complete confidence in God. He has complete confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit to do inside of them because they are professing and he is hearing about the fruit of their profession. He, he just didn't hear that they were professing faith and then assuming that they are doing all these things. No, their profession was followed along by the fruit of their actions of goodness and knowledge and admonishing one another. So, this letter that Paul is 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 sending them is one that he is highly encouraged. He is what, as he says, he is convinced about them that they have full knowledge, that they have full understanding, that they have you know admonishing one another that is going on in this. And and listen, this is how we should be as well. People should be able to say this about us. In today's Christianity, people should be able to look at us and say, man, they police their own. They encourage their own. They are filled with goodness. They, they don't return evil for evil. They actually bless others. They, it's something different about these 21st century Christians, man. Like, this is awesome. They are actually doing what the Bible says the Holy Spirit would do in and through them. This is how we should be so that others can be confident when they have discipled us, when our leaders and when our mentors hear about the goodness and the knowledge and the admonishing going on in the body, they too can be encouraged like the Apostle Paul. 
Now, in verse 17, it says, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. So the question is, what things pertaining to God are we able to boast in? Well, for the Apostle Paul, this was specifically in boasting of the proclamation of the gospel that united Jews and Gentiles. Those that were of the promise of the Old Testament and seeing how that is fulfilled in the New Testament because God's plan was for them to be united, for him to call the nations and unify them. So therefore, Paul is boasting this because his assignment was to go to the Gentiles. He knew that Peter was going to the Jews, but it was the same message that would that would break down that dividing wall, that would unite these two people groups and make one people of God. And, and this is something that Paul's boasting about. This is something that he can rightly boast about because number one, it's not him. It, it was not the apostle Paul that went around uniting Jew and Gentile together. It was the message of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit that was able to to do all of this. So therefore, Paul is boasting in this. And as Christians, we too should boast in Christ the things that he is working in and through us to do. Because again, those that are in the flesh, those that have the mind of the flesh, we found this out in Romans 8, 8 and 9, that if you are in the flesh, you're not able to please God. You cannot please God. You're, you're not even able to do so. However, those that are in the spirit Spirit, because the spirit of God dwells in us, we are able to please God because the spirit causes us to do those things that are pleasing to him. So I boast in the simple fact that what I do for a living brings glory to God. I boast in the simple fact that the conversations that I have cause people to get into their word and know the God that created them. I boast in all things that the spirit is allowing me to do for his glory. My family's life verse um, is is Matthew chapter five, verse 16. And th this is a, a life verse that me and my family aspire to live by. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. That is what I am boasting in. All of my good works is only because of the light that is in me that I am shining brightly for the glory of God. Now, in verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says this, for I would not be able, I mean, for I would not be bold to speak to you of anything except what Christ has brought about through me, leading to the obedience of the Gentiles in the power of signs and wonders and in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around, as far as Lycanium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So the question that we have from this is, what can we learn from Paul's declaration? This, this declaration that he has in verses 18 and 19, I think we can learn a lot. Like this is, this is so good. First of all, going back to our previous point, everything that we do, God gets the glory for. Everything that we do, we let our light shine in such a way that when men see our good works, they glorify God in heaven. This is why one of the things that I've practiced and trained myself to do so that way my thinking is right when people commend me, when people acknowledge the things that I do. And they say, Chuck, you just did a great job. I'm so happy that you did this or I'm so proud or, or whatever. My response is praise God. 
And it's not because I'm trying to be humble. It's not because I'm trying to, you know, humbly take the glory and all. No, no, that is not the reason. I say praise God because it is a command for you to praise God because everything that I do as Christians, everything that we do is for his glory. Everything. So if I do something that is praiseworthy, I am diverting that that glory to God because he is the one that gets the glory. Because if it were not for him, I wouldn't be able to do this. So this is a huge lesson that we can get from the apostle Paul. He says, I will not be bold to speak about anything except what Christ has brought about through me. Listen, any and everything that I do in my own flesh, it's not even worth talking about. It's not even worth mentioning, but all the things that God is able to do in and through me, that is what I boast about. Because if it were not for the Lord, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. And that that is our testimony. That's a strong testimony that we can have. And that is something that we can truly boast about in Christ Jesus. Another thing that we can learn from the Apostle Paul is that not only, not only was he preaching the gospel, Not only was he proclaiming this to the Gentiles in word, but he was also doing this in deed. You guys probably heard the saying, preach the gospel all times. If necessary, use words. Listen, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. It's simply not possible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is a message. It is inherently verbal. And preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. So therefore, we have to use words. We must use words. It is through our words that people hear the message of the gospel, believe and call upon the name of the Lord. So we must use words. It's not an option, which is why Paul says, leading to the obedience of the Gentiles in word and deed. So this is also, our actions, the, the walk that we live needs to match the talk that we talk. So don't say one thing and then do another. Don't do another thing and then say one thing. We need to maintain consistency. We need to maintain integrity and, and follow the Apostle Paul's example, not doing this in our own strength. Because in verse 19, he says, in the power of the spirit, don't try to do this yourself. Don't try to be the one that is that is trying to muster up or white knuckle this walk or try to get people saved because salvation is not of you. Salvation is of the Lord. Yahweh saves. Jesus saves. He is the only one that is able to do so. He uses us as instruments. He uses us as tools in his hand. So he ultimately gets the glory, which is rightfully his. Now, in Verse 20, it says, and in this way, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel, not where Christ is already named, so that I will not build on another man's foundation. So here's a question. Is it wrong to build on the foundation of someone else's proclamation of the gospel? Now, I think this question stumped a lot of the young adults on Thursday, but I worded it very specifically. As you guys know, when I send out these questions, I I usually throw one in there to keep you on your toes because I'm very specific about the wording in this. And once again, I'll read the question. Is it wrong to build on the foundation of someone else's proclamation of the gospel? Here's the answer. No, (laughs) it is not wrong to build on someone else's proclamation of the gospel of the gospel. We need to understand the gospel is already found. The foundation for the gospel has already been laid by the apostles and the prophets. We see this in Ephesians chapter two, verse 20, where it says, having been built on the foundation, I mean, having been built on the foundation of the apostles, 
of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. When we look at this text, this gospel message that has saved us from our transgressions while we were dead in our sins, that brought peace, that brought that broke down the dividing wall, has been built on by the foundation of the apostles and prophets. When the church was established, the gospel went forth, the message of the kingdom was laid. We continue to spread that message. We continue to cast that seed. We cast that seed on hard soil. We cast that seed on rock rocky soil, on thorny soil, and on good soil. God is the one that provides the increase. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, now there's one who plants and one who's waters, but each one receive his own reward. And then before that, I love this, when he's arguing, when, when he's settling this argument, he says, I planted, the Apostle Paul, Apollos watered, but God calls the growth. Listen, it is not us that saves. It is not us that brings about this regeneration. We are those who plant. We are those who water. And God is the one who gives that increase. So for us to build on or to, you know, continue to preach after someone has after someone else has already proclaimed the gospel to an individual, that is not a bad thing. There are people that need to hear the gospel 32 times. There are people that need to hear the gospel 557 times. There are people that need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. But we need to understand this. God's word would not come back void. God, God's word would accomplish all that he set out for it to do. We cannot presume upon that. So what we do is we continue to plant, we continue to water, and we wait for God to provide that increase. Now, last question that we have here is coming out of verse 21. So in verse 21, the Apostle Paul is actually quoting an Old Testament text in Isaiah 52, 15. He says, but as it is written, they who had not, I mean, they who had no declaration of him shall see and they who have not heard shall understand. So here's the question. Who are the people mentioned in this Old Testament passage and how is this connected to Paul? So when we're looking at this, the first thing that we need to do is we need to go back to Isaiah 52 and see what this is, what the, this, this is all about. Now, this is the passage right before we get into one of the, the most descriptive passages in Isaiah of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. But right before that, in verses 13 through 15 of the Isaiah 50, uh, 52, it's talking about the exalted Savior. It says, behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Who else could this be? Who, who, us with this New Testament understanding, who else could this be? And it says in verse 14, just as many were appalled at you, my people. So his appearance was marred before any man and his form from, I mean, his form more than the sons of man. And here it is in verse 15, thus he will sprinkle, I mean, thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on his, on account of him for what had not been told, uh, I mean, what have not been told them, they will see and what they had not heard, they will understand. And then it gets into the suffering servant, Jesus, who we know suffered for our sins. 
So, so when we're looking at this, we see the main person that is being talked about is Jesus and, and the nations is everyone else. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul is, is seeing for himself as what he is fulfilling as the prophecy in Isaiah, that he is going to all the nations. He is going to the people who have not heard. He is going to the people who, who need to understand those who have not heard the declaration of him. Guess what? Through the proclamation of Paul's preaching, they're going to see those who have not heard through the proclamation and the teaching of Paul, they will understand. So too with us. We need to continue to preach God's word. We need to continue to pour into people. We need to continue to go to the ends of the earth and reach all the nations with the gospel. This this is another reason. This is another passage that I go to, to show that, listen, that person on the island that you think is never going to hear the gospel, that's not true. God will save all his people. Everyone that God means to save will be saved. He, he, he's not going to leave a person on an island with no knowledge of him. Because number one, first of all, in Romans chapter one, we see that there, the, the attributes of God is making known that there is a God that exists. Now, when those people continue to seek the truth, when they continue to seek the God, when they are wanting to develop this relationship, he makes it known. He brings his people to his people so that they will know him because all who have not heard the declaration will hear the declaration. All who do not understand will understand through the preaching of the gospel. This is why we we need to continue to preach the gospel, guys. We really do know it for yourself and then pass it on to others. I heard one pastor say the gospel is like a football that once you receive it, you continue to hand it off. You don't fumble it, but you continue to hand it off. My Bears won this week, so yay, yay. <laughs> Had to throw a little football reference in there. But listen, guys, uh, that is it for our questions today. I love jumping into Romans. Um, next week, we're going to, once again, continue verse by verse through the book of Romans. Um, and then next week, I got a little surprise for you. So I, I hope that you can join us. I hope that you can show up on Thursday. Once again, we meet at Life Baptist Church, 6316 South Tenea Way in Las Vegas. So if you're in the area, we would love for you to join us. We meet at 7 p.m. in the community center. Come join in on the discussion. We would love to have you. I'm telling you, the podcast is one thing, but being in person and being a part of the discussion is a complete other thing. It, it will bless you. You will be edified. You will be lifted up. So I encourage you to come check us out if you're in town. And also this Thursday, we're going to have a very special time. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, hope you guys can join us. But until then, my encouragement is that you stay in the word, read his word line by line, read it in context. And most importantly, stay close and clean to Yahweh, our God. 